Uh, would you join me again in prayer? Lord, we so often forget uh, the privilege that it is to gather in your name, to gather as your people. And so, Father, we ask uh, for your help, that you would work in our hearts to love your church more and more and to not neglect gathering together as you enable us. We thank you for your bride, the church, for your plans and how you created us to be in community, how you established your church to be a witness to the watching world. Help us to grow in our understanding of what it means to be a part of your body and how that's a part of what it means to be a Christian. God, this morning, as we do every morning, we have so much to be thankful for. More than anything, we thank you for the gift of your son. It is in Christ that we have hope. Father, keep the rich truth and the goodness of the gospel on our hearts and minds and deepen our understanding through it. We ask that your Holy Spirit would work in our lives to convict us of sin and to comfort us in the hope that we have. We thank you so much for the gift of your spirit, that the same power that raised Jesus from the dead lives in us. Father, help us to reflect your generosity to us in our generosity to others. Teach us to hold on to what we have loosely, knowing that all we have is yours. Help us, the members of HGC, to give cheerfully, generously, and regularly the support of this ministry and the needs of our neighbors. And God, help us to give with sincere hearts. Use whatever we give to bring you glory. And give us wisdom as a church to steward well all that you have given us. Father, we think of our students and teachers again returning to classes tomorrow. Father, we pray for safety and for things to go smoothly with these constant changes. Lord, we also pray for parents who teach at home and for homeschool students. Would they continue to learn and to grow, particularly in discipleship? Father, this morning we pray also for the province of Newfoundland. We thank you for organizations like Mile One Mission, for Steve Bray and the team there as they work to see more churches planted in Newfoundland. God, we ask for gospel fruit. Would you raise up indigenous church leaders and church planters there in Newfoundland? And would you be glorified in it? Father, closer to home, we also pray for Cornerstone Church. We pray for Pastor Aaron and the team. And we are grateful that many of them can be with us this morning. As they plant this church, would you be glorified in it? Help them to be grounded in your word and proclaim the gospel clearly. Thank you that you do build your kingdom through the planting of churches. We see that through your word. I thank you for uh, this picture of obedience and faithfulness that, that they give to us. God, unite them as they prepare and make plans and guide them in their preparation. Help them to be grounded in nothing but you and your word. 
So would you be glorified in the planting of this church? Would they be edified in their work? And Lord, would you open hearts? Would many come to know you through this work? God, we pray that you would increase zeal in their hearts for you and that zeal for you would turn into zeal for your mission. And for us this morning, Lord, we ask that we would grow in understanding your word, that we would see it as critical to be anchored in your word. Would we grow in encouraging one another through scripture? And would you help us too to live truthful lives? That we would speak the truth in love and that would mature us individually and that you would use it to build up the body, your church. And so as we come to your true word now, Lord, what we know not, teach us. What we have not, give us. And what we are not, make us. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. If you have your Bibles with you, I ask you to join us and turn to Ephesians chapter 6. Ephesians chapter 6. If you do not have a Bible, we would love to give you a Bible. Uh, we have some uh, that we would love to give you as a gift over on the table there. Uh, if you are new to the Bible, we are again in the book of Ephesians. It's a little book in the New Testament, so you'll see it closer to the back cover of your Bible, the book of Ephesians. It's a short little letter of only six chapters, six short chapters. Uh, and if, again, you are new to the Bible, that is a big number six in your Bibles and a small number. We're going to be spending most of our time just in the first half, first half of verse 14. Uh, but for a little bit of context, I'm going to start reading in verse 10, Ephesians 6, 10 to 14. Let's hear the word of the Lord. Finally, be strong in the Lord and in the strength of his might. Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the schemes of the devil. For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers over this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. Therefore, take up the whole armor of God that you may be able to withstand in the evil day and having done all to stand firm. Stand, therefore, having fastened on the belt of truth. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Truth is a bit of an interesting topic, I think, because truth is very much contested today. I'm sure you can think of dozens of places where that is true in your own life, where truth is contested. Just last week, here in our gathered worship, I read a statement about Bill C-4, a new law in Canada that says that a biblical understanding of gender and sexuality is a myth. It is undeniable that there is an assault on truth. And so as we take this slow but deliberate walk through the armor of God, we find ourselves today bumping into the first actual piece of armor that the Lord gives us, the belt of truth. And so as we think about the importance of the armor of God, what God has given to us, and as we think about, as we did last week, the reality of spiritual warfare, we can conclude that each part of our armor that God gives to us is important. 
it is critical. And so as we look at God's true word, in one ear we hear that God's word is true, that there is truth, absolute, concrete truth. And in our other ear, from maybe many other places, we hear that truth is fluid, that is not absolute, that truth is contested. Now, in a sense, that seems hard to believe, right? If something is true, how can it be contested? Yet in our world today, I would say, and I think you would agree, we have a disturbingly low view of what truth is. We have a low view of truth. Now, of course, what I'm talking about specifically this morning is the truth of the Bible, biblical doctrine, a belief or set of beliefs held and taught by the church. But I'm sure you can apply this to any sphere of your life. You can understand that truth is contested. There is a war against truth. We live in an age of seemingly unlimited access to information. You want a fact about anything? You can find it. It's just a Google search away. And so we live in a a world where we can find answers to everything. We can find truth. Yet we have increasingly a low view of what truth is. On almost any topic, you can find someone that will support and someone who will refute that claim. I'm sure you can think of many examples even over this last year and a half, two years, where that has been exacerbated in our culture. And so as truth becomes more and more optional and fluid, it's important that we as Christians understand that truth is not optional. Truth is not fluid. That is not the message of Christianity, at least not according to the Bible. In Paul's letter to the Ephesians, he comments on truth a few different times and in a few different ways. But here in Ephesians 6, he says that the first step of putting on the armor of God is fastening on this belt of truth. And so as we consider truth this morning, I want you to come away with a different understanding of what truth is that our society paints. We are sold a bill of goods that there is supposedly no absolute truth. But I want you to acknowledge the fact that truth really does matter, both in the truth that we believe and teach and the importance of living truthful lives. And so truth matters. Therefore, sound doctrine matters. So I've said the belt of truth, a lesson in sound doctrine. By sound doctrine, I mean sound, right, healthy, solid. And by doctrine, I mean understanding, teaching, beliefs. Now, I'm aware that when I say sound doctrine, you know, we're not like, yeah, sound doctrine, that's my kind of topic, you know. Sound doctrine, that you know, makes a lot of our eyes glaze over when we think about sound doctrine. But this shouldn't be the case. First, if truth matters, so does sound doctrine, so does right understanding. And second, when we consider the topic of theology, another word that maybe in your mind you autocorrect to dull, we are talking about God. That's an important topic for all people, whether you're a Christian or not here this morning. Theology is the study of God. God who is infinitely wise. He is amazing. He is good. He is altogether lovely. 
And so if there is a God who created the universe and our chief end is to know him, to glorify him and enjoy him forever, it should be of chief importance that we understand the truth of who God is and what he's doing in the world. And so what we believe to be true matters. Therefore, sound doctrine matters. It matters for us individually and matters for us corporately as a church. And so our big idea from our passage this morning, our big idea is this. Let truth be the root and the fruit in your life. Let truth be the root and fruit in your life. Those will also be our points this morning as we work through just this small section Uh, but we consider what Paul has to say about truth in his letter to the Ephesians. Make truth the root of your life and let truth be the fruit in your life. And the Apostle Paul gives us context for why we need the armor of God. We considered this last week, a lesson in spiritual warfare, that spiritual warfare is a reality. It is a real thing. But he says in verse 12 of chapter 6, For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers over this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. Spiritual warfare is a reality. But then immediately in verse 13 he says, Therefore, take up the whole armor of God. He goes on to expand this. Uh, immediately after in verse 14 he says stand therefore and it's these two words that really set the stage for the rest of the pieces of armor that we work through as well as tell us where we've come from that spiritual warfare is real we're going to kind of use those two words as our thesis statement stand therefore he says that you may be able to withstand in the evil day and having done all to stand firm if he hasn't made his point clear that we are able to stand by putting on the armor of God. I don't know what we're missing here. He's clear. We can stand. And so we are called to stand. That is what we are called to do. He says what we are called to do, stand. We are also told why. Because spiritual warfare and the devil's schemes are real. And now we are told how. That's with the belt of truth. These first few items that we'll consider are preparatory As a Christian, it's something that you are called to have done and are called to be doing. Fasten on the belt of truth. And so our first point this morning is make truth the root of your life. Let's dig in. As we consider the belt, it was essential. The belt was essential to putting on armor, even if it's not as glamorous as some of the rest of the pieces of armor. I don't know why the internet thinks I'm interested in belts, uh, maybe because I've you know, looking up the belt of truth. Uh, but I, for some reason, it kept showing me this ad before videos and things all week. And it was this dude sitting there, and he starts out, and it's like this really cool music, and, and it's this, and I'm like, oh, man, what's this ad going to be about? And he starts, he says, I've been obsessed with belts for a really long time. Man, I, I've never said those words before. I, you know, it seemed like a cool belt that this guy designed. I don't want to knock it. But I don't know who says that. I've been obsessed with belts for a really long time. But the belt is essential. A lot of theology books and commentaries, there's not a lot of humor sprinkled in, but there's a book I read by Ian Duguid. I've quoted from him a few times, and I'll quote from him a few more times. But he talks about the belt being important. He says, it's hard to fight with your pants falling down. Now, I just think that's funny. But when we think about even various pictures of, of the type of armor that they would have been wearing at the time, the belt went on first. It was foundational. 
It went underneath the rest of the armor. It held all the other clothing out of the way. So it wasn't so much to keep your pants up. It was to keep you from tripping over uh, your folds of clothing and all that you had going on. It enabled you to fight without being hindered by your clothing. And so depending on what type of armor we're looking at, too, around that time, uh, it very well could have served uh, the function of holding the other elements of armor in place. The King James Version translates this half of a verse. It says, having your loins girt about with truth. Now, I understand that some of those are words that we don't use very often. But to gird means to encircle a person or part of the body with a belt or band or prepare oneself for something difficult or challenging. I'd say King James and his buddies had that one nailed. That is the right word for what we're talking about. To encircle yourself with a belt or band to prepare oneself for something difficult or challenging. Truth for us must be a girdle. It is the anchor that girds on other pieces of armor. And so as much as sound doctrine may not sound quite as exciting as other things, neither does a belt sound quite as exciting as a sword or a shield or a helmet. But it is no less important. Paul starts here in saying how we can stand against the schemes of the devil. And the first step for them that he was writing to and the first step for us is this foundational role of truth. We must make it the root of our lives. And so as we consider this verb that we have translated here, at least in the ESV, as having fastened, literally means to gird or to prepare. And so in this context, to fasten clothing around your waist was to get ready to engage in battle. Paul's essentially saying, buckle up and do it with truth. Brace yourselves, gird yourselves in truth. The Apostle Peter echoes the same sentiment in 1 Peter 1.13. He says, therefore, preparing your minds for action and being sober-minded, set your hope fully on the grace that will be brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. Again, uh, the King James would say, girding up the loins of your mind. What is this truth that we are supposed to be girded up with? What is this belt that we fasten on? Well, we know from the Bible that truth is not fluid. It is concrete. It is something that you can root yourselves to. The Bible, and therefore Christians, make a bold claim that there are not multiple ways to God. There are not multiple truths. There is simply truth. There is one way of getting to God, and that's Jesus himself. He said of himself, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. He did not say he is a way. He said he is the way. He did not say he is a truth. He said he is the truth. And this is the central message of Christianity. To be a Christian, by definition, is to be a Christ follower. To be a Christian church is to be a Christ-centered church. We proclaim one way to God, and that is Christ. That all of us, all of humanity, we have all sinned. We've all turned our own way. We've all closed our eyes and our ears to the truth that God has given us. We've rebelled. We want to be Lord of our own life. We've missed the mark of God's instruction. And that's sin. And sin separates us from God because God is perfectly holy and righteous. 
God is also just. And so that sin that separates us from God deserves separation. It deserves punishment. And the penalty for sin, the Bible tells us, is death. Death is separation from God. But God, amazingly, in his mercy, knew that. Knew that we couldn't measure up. Knew that we couldn't be righteous. And so in his mercy, he sent his own son, Jesus Christ, to the earth. God in the flesh. To be the God-man. To be fully God and fully man. And to live a life like us. To be tempted like us. But to do what we could never do and live a sinless life. He never sinned. Yet, he bore the weight of our sin. He took all of our sin, all that we ever have done, all that we ever will do on his shoulders, and he died for you. He died for me. He subbed himself out for you and for me. But he didn't stay dead. He rose from the dead on the third day. He conquered death. He made a way for you and I to be made right with God. That by turning from our sin and trusting in Christ alone for salvation, we could be made right with God. Peace with God could be restored so that when God looks at you, he would see Jesus in all his perfection and all of his righteousness. And that when he looked at Jesus on the cross, he saw you in all your sin and all your brokenness. And so friend, if you are here this morning, this is truth. Trust in Christ today. If you don't know this, we would love to share more with you about this hope that we have. This is the truth. This is something that you can anchor to. You're going to hear lots of uh, different pictures of what supposed good news is in your life. But this is the good news. That we can be made right with God. And so when we proclaim truth, that is the truth we proclaim that we can be saved by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone. This is the hope that we have in the gospel. means good news. It is the truth that must be the root of all of our lives. It is the truth that is the foundation of our armor. Paul wrote earlier in Ephesians, in chapter 1, verses 13 and 14, he says, In him, talking about Christ, you also, when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation and believed in him were sealed with the promised Holy Spirit who is the guarantee of our inheritance until we acquire possession of it to the praise of his glory. According to Paul, the truth, the word of truth is the gospel. And the gospel is our hope. Romans 1.16 Many of us are familiar with this. For I am not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God for salvation for everyone who believes. That's the word of truth. It's the gospel. It's the good news. It's what our anchor is, what our anchor must be. And so, Christian, the gospel is as much for you today as it was for the day that you were saved. The truth of the gospel, the truth that Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life must shape your entire life. This is what we have been working through through, the, through this whole letter, that the, the first half of the letter is really the gospel explained and the second half is the gospel applied, that as we consider the gospel, it should change our lives. The truth that we need to make the root of our lives is the gospel. When Paul contrasts the old life 
and the new life that we are to put on as Christians in chapter 4, he says the old life is, is, that's not how you learned Christ. Remember? That's not how you learned Christ. But what does he say immediately after that? That the truth is in Jesus. So how do we grow in this? How do we grow in this area? How do we apply truth? Well, we need to know the truth. You can't apply truth if you don't know truth. So how do we apply this truth to our life? Well, God has given us his word. He's given us his word. Jesus himself says that God's word is truth. Not a source of truth, is truth. It's truth itself. Paul writes to Timothy near the very end of his life. He says, all scripture is breathed out by God and is profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness that the man of God may be complete, equipped for every good work. And so brothers and sisters, search for the truth. Hold on to the truth. Examine your blind spots. Ask the questions that you're embarrassed you don't know the answers to about the Bible. Start or continue this lifelong journey that you're on to know God more. Read the Bible on your own. Read the Bible with one another. David Helm has a great little book called One-to-One Bible Reading. And the thesis of the whole book is essentially there is one strategy that works for every person. If you want to evangelize a a non-Christian, if you want to uh, disciple a new Christian, if you want to grow alongside a seasoned Christian, even for pastors and elders, there's one thing you can apply for all of these relationships, and that's just reading the Bible together. Just ask someone to read the Bible with you. Look around the room right now. Like literally turn your heads, look at each other. Okay? Every single person you just looked at, it would do you both spiritual good to read the Bible together. Men, find other men. Women, find other women. Parents, read the Bible with your kids. Kids, read the Bible together. Community groups, find someone to to get together and read the Bible with. All of you, find someone that you live near or work near. Read the Bible together. I guarantee, I don't guarantee a lot of things, but I guarantee that will be good for you. Now, what about if you don't know where to start? What if you say, Aaron, I've read the Bible. I, I don't know. I'm not getting it. Well, we didn't plan to talk about truth today or, well, we talk about truth every Sunday, uh, but we didn't plan specifically to talk about truth and sound doctrine today uh, while tonight we start a class on how to study your Bible, uh, but God has a way of doing these things. Tonight we are starting classes on how to study your Bible. If you want to grow in this area, come. One for adults, one for the kids. I promise it will be worth your while. This is an area that will build each of us up individually and build us up as a church. Let's grow in understanding and applying God's word. 6 p.m. Let's do it. Now, of course, nothing replaces scripture, but we can use things like good books, podcasts, videos to point us to God and his word. Maybe you're not a reader. Okay? I was expecting a bunch of amens. (laughs) Maybe you're not a reader. Man, I've wasted so much of my life saying I wasn't a reader. There's no such thing. You might not like reading. Uh, You might be a slow reader. You might be a bad reader. I don't know. But you're still a reader. Because there's solutions to all those problems. There's short books, great books, audio books, 
know, easy to read books, pop-up books. There's all sorts of things that you can use. But I promise you, it'll do you good. There's another guarantee, two guarantees today. It'll do you spiritual good. If you say, I'm not a reader, come talk to me. I would love to walk you through the journey I went on. I used to pride myself on how little I read. But in hindsight, I'm so ignorant. There's so much good truth for us out there. And don't do any of this stuff alone. The importance of sound doctrine and being rooted in truth needs to be our corporate identity as a church. This is why so much of our membership process is considering what we believe. It's our statement of faith, also known as a confession. It's our doctrinal statement. It's where we affirm what we believe about the Bible, about God, about humanity, about sin, about the church. We also consider how we promise to live with one another. We have a church covenant. It's a summary of what we believe the Bible teaches us about how we live together. And there's other ways that we do this. Things like creeds. Creeds are another way that churches have done this throughout church history. Credo in Latin means I believe. And so to recite a creed is to affirm what we believe. Now, of course, a creed is not inspired scripture. It can never replace it. But it serves us well as a summary of what we believe. So when we recite creeds or reflect on creeds, we affirm biblical truths. Think about the well-known Apostles' Creed. Many of you have likely heard it before. Others of you have maybe recited it dozens or even hundreds of times. It's been a test of orthodoxy for us for the last 1,400 years. And so I'm going to read the Apostles' Creed, and I want you to listen and reflect on these words. See how for centuries the church has formed statements like this to ground us in the truth. The Apostles' Creed says, We believe in God. The Father Almighty, creator of heaven and earth. We believe in Jesus Christ, God's only Son, our Lord, who was conceived by the Holy Spirit, born of the Virgin Mary, suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, died, and was buried. He descended to the dead. On the third day, he rose again. He ascended into heaven. He is seated at the right hand of the Father and will come to judge the living and the dead. We believe in the Holy Spirit, one holy church, communion of saints, the forgiveness of sins, the resurrection of the body, and the life everlasting. Amen. Now there are many different creeds and historic confessions that ground us in truth. Truth that has been affirmed for hundreds of years. There's other ways that we do this too. We sing songs corporately. We affirm and we want to reinforce biblical truth through the songs we sing, to, to fill our minds with who God is and what he's done. I don't imagine you're coming away from our gathered worship, you know, quoting lines from the sermon necessarily, but you may have songs ringing in your ears that affirm biblical truths. It's how we build one another up. It's how we stir one another up. It's how we encourage one another. We use other things, tools like catechisms. We're working through the New City Catechism to root ourselves in biblical truths about who God is, about who we are, about what the gospel is. Kids, how many people are going through the New City Catechism? Handful adults, how many people are going through the New City Catechism? Yeah. This is important stuff. What have we learned so far, even in these first few weeks of January? That we are not our own, but we belong to God. God who is the creator of everyone and everything. And this week we consider the triune God. That there are three persons in one God, the Father, 
the Son, and the Holy Spirit. So for all of these things, this is how we root ourselves in truth. Each of these things, all of these things, the songs we sing, creeds, confessions, covenants, catechisms, a lot of C's going on. We need a C for singing. Corporate singing. <laughs> Corporate singing, creeds, confessions, covenants, catechisms. They root us. They ground us in the truth. They ground us in God's word. They are ways that we corporately gird ourselves up. We buckle up with the belt of truth. It's how we prepare for battle. And so this morning, if you're here and you are not a Christian, I want to encourage you to look for truth. Look for truth. There is truth. Look for it. There's nothing be hidden behind the veil of Christianity or the Bible. Dig in. Examine the claims that the Bible makes. Leave no stone unturned. Again, if you don't have a Bible, we would love to give you a Bible. And if you want someone to read it with you, we can make that happen. But dig in. Look for truth. There is truth to be found. And for all of us, as we consider this spiritual battle that we face, you need to make truth the root of your life. It's, it's part of the preparation that we are all called to do. I quoted Ian Duguid last week. He said, the choice is not whether you will be a Christian soldier or a Christian civilian, but whether you will be a prepared Christian soldier or an unprepared one. I think that really matters as we consider this topic of truth, that you need to make truth the root of your life. It's foundational to our armor. It's how we prepare. And just like the rest of Ephesians, the foundational root should produce gospel fruit. And so let's consider how making the truth of your life, uh, the root of your life, that, that that would produce fruit in your life. Let truth be the fruit in your life. And so it's through truth that we grow. Paul contrasts immaturity with being grounded in truth. In Ephesians chapter 4, verses 13 through 16, he says, Until we attain the unity of the faith and the knowledge of the Son of God to mature manhood, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ, so that we may no longer be children, tossed to and fro by the waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine, by human cunning, by craftiness and deceitful schemes. Rather, speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up in every way into him who is the head, into Christ, from whom the whole body joined and held together by every joint with which it is equipped. When each part is working properly, makes the whole body grow so that it builds itself up in love. And so rather being tossed to and fro by every wind of doctrine, by human cunning, by craftiness, by deceitful schemes, our defense strategy is to be grounded in the truth that is the knowledge of Christ. Or as Paul writes directly, the, the knowledge of the Son of God. That that would bring us to mature manhood, that we would grow to be more like Christ. And so this truth that is to be our root is also to be the fruit of our new life. By speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up. That's the contrast to immaturity. Rather, speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up and we're to build up the body of Christ. And so just a few paragraphs later, Paul exhorts the Ephesians in verse 25. He says, therefore, having put away falsehood, let each one of you speak the truth with his neighbor, for we are members of one another. And so a life grounded in truth, rooted in truth, should produce truthful fruit. 
Some of Jesus' strongest words in the Bible were against hypocrisy in the religious leaders. They, they looked good on the outside, but inside they were dead. Inside they were rotten. And so this gospel-shaped life is to be a life that's actually shaped by the gospel. Go figure, right? The word of truth, as Paul said, the gospel of our salvation should shape how we really live. And this isn't new territory for us in Ephesians. That's really been the entire letter. But this new life is what God has called us to. We must put off the old self. We must put on the new self. We are to walk in love. We are to walk in light. In chapter 5, verses 8 and 9, it says, For at one time you were darkness, but now you are light in the Lord. Walk as children of light, for the fruit of light is found in all that is good and right and true. The fruit of light is found in all that is good and right and true. And so don't undermine the gospel by living a life of deceit. Root your life in the truth of the gospel and let your life reflect the gospel. Foundational to the armor of God is this belt of truth. To be grounded, to be strengthened, to be girded up in sound doctrine is to be rooted in the truth of God's word. Now this morning, you may feel the weight of this. You may say, right on, Aaron, it sounds good. But that's hard. Well, I want to encourage you, don't forget, it's not your armor that you wear. It's God's armor. It's God's armor that he gives to you. On our own, we can do all the right things. But reading our Bible could simply be religious duty or an academic exercise. When we come together for corporate worship, it could easily settle into to what can I get who can serve me rather than what can I bring who can I serve our pragmatic minds slip into thinking that you know historic confessions and creeds and songs that are actually rooted in truth and uh, spending a lot of our time reading and talking about God's word that somehow that would be clunky or impractical and we trade it for ear tickling messages and songs that preach no gospel they proclaim no truth but the good news is that it's not our job to create truth. It's our job to simply fasten on the belt of truth. It's the truth of the gospel that saves us, not our weak grip on the gospel. And the good news is that Jesus is the truth. He's worn the belt of truth first. In Isaiah 11, God's people rebelled against God. They uprooted themselves from the light and the truth of God's word. And yet we get a picture already there, hundreds of years before Jesus comes onto the scene, that God is redemptive. He redeems his people. God promises that he will send a Messiah, a, a savior from David's line, a shoot from the stump of Jesse, who would come to rescue his people. And in Isaiah 11, Five, it says, righteousness shall be the belt on his waist, and faithfulness the belt of his loins. The Greek translation of the Old Testament translates that word faithfulness in Isaiah 11 to the same Greek word that Paul uses here as truth. And so that's important to us this morning, that through Jesus' perfect righteousness 
and faithfulness to the truth, he has accomplished what you and I could never accomplish. He made peace with God possible. So when Satan came to tempt Jesus, how did Jesus respond? He responded by being rooted and grounded in the truths of God's word. He quoted scripture back at him. And it was through the belt of truth that Jesus was prepared to defend himself. And Jesus defended us all the way to the cross. But how different do our lives look? Even at our 100 mile an hour lives, we're we're flying down the highway and we still see that glisten of the fruit that Satan tempts us with. And before we even have time to think about anchoring ourselves in the truth of God's word, we're making apple crumble. We need to be rooted and grounded in the truth. Not our truth, the truth. Friend, the good news of the gospel is that the gospel is not what you must do, it's what Christ has done. This is the true gospel. This is sound doctrine, that Jesus himself is truth. Root yourselves in him. Don't live your truth, live the truth. And this foundational truth is the belt that we need to belt onto our waist. It enables you to stand against the devil's schemes. Ground yourselves in sound doctrine. Root yourselves in Christ and his truth as your foundational armor. Acknowledging that there is absolute truth and that gives you absolute hope. Truth is far from a cage, friend. The truth will set you free. Let's pray. God, we thank you for who you are, for what you've done. That from the second sin entered our world, there was already promised hope that you would send a redeemer. And God, we thank you that from our vantage point, we can see that that redeemer is Christ. Thank you that he perfectly wore the belt of truth. God, teach us to be grounded and rooted in truth. Lord, make truth the fruit of our lives, that we would live truthful lives. But not for our glory, for your glory. Ground us in the hope that we find in you. Lord, give us discipline to look for you in your word. God, make truth the root of our lives. And by your help, would we fasten on the belt of truth. We pray in Jesus' name, amen.